Hello and welcome to Fast Pass the Past, the Theme Park History Podcast, Episode 13. Have you ever wondered what the origin story is behind your favorite attractions and theme parks? Well, you're in the right place. Except today, as is often the case, we're going to be talking about hotels that never quite made it off the drawing board in this new take on our classic Lost Land series. I'm your host, Austin Carroll. I'm a history nerd, a former Disneyland cast member, and a current annual pass holder at the Disneyland Resort. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Today, we're going beyond the theme park and taking a gander at the original plans for Walt Disney World's Seven Seas Lagoon and the stunning plans for unique resorts that never came to fruition. As FastPass listeners know, the history of the Walt Disney World Resort is littered with great what-might-have-been stories, terrific-sounding attractions that never quite made it off the drawing board, entire resorts that were all planned and ready to go, only to suddenly fall out of favor and never be constructed. That's what we're going to be talking about today. As for the topic, I would be remiss if I didn't admit that I wasn't slightly inspired to look into canceled hotel plans by the recent announcement of a four-star hotel at Disneyland's Anaheim property and the subsequent closure of the majority of downtown Disney and then the abrupt cancellation of the project. Some of the original Walt Disney World hotels we'll be looking at today have similar quick ends, as the Walt Disney Company struggled to enter the hospitality industry with new concepts that would appeal to their Florida theme park guests. After all, if you recall, the Disneyland Hotel in Anaheim was not owned by Disney until 1988. So without further ado, Let's go ahead and take our deep dive into the Walt Disney Company's archives to take a look at five, yes, five lost resorts of the Disney Empire. Ladies and gentlemen, this is our final boarding call and the doors will be closing soon. Please board quickly and safely. Our monorail will be departing momentarily. Thank you. Nowadays, you can take a grand circle tour on the monorail around Magic Kingdom. The resort monorail stops at Magic Kingdom Park, Disney's Contemporary Resort, Disney's Grand Floridian Resort and Spa, and Disney's Polynesian Village Resort. While on the elevated train, you can stare out and wonder at this massive feats of engineering and architecture rising up around the Seven Seas Lagoon. If you have enough money, you can even stay in these so-called deluxe resorts and enjoy the easy and speedy access to the Magic Kingdom and Epcot, Obviously, the two original planned parks of Walt Disney World. Although it may seem like these resorts have always been there, Walt Disney opened in October 1, 1971, with just two resorts. We know them today as Disney's Polynesian Resort and Disney's Contemporary Resort. Of course, earlier in 1969, Disney had announced a slightly more ambitious plan for five theme resorts to open with phase one of the Walt Disney World project. Classic Disney move. Why did these resorts not make it off the drawing board? Well, for one, Disney seemed to underestimate just how long it would take to build lodgings for their weary guests. Construction began on Disney's Polynesian Resort in February 1971, less than eight months before the first guests were scheduled to arrive. 
The Imagineers had also altered the concept significantly from what was originally announced. The early concept art featured a 12-story tower, a bold design that may have looked more at home among the luxury hotels on Honolulu. However, as we all know, what was eventually built was a more architecturally authentic village layout, much of which remains today. Disney's Polynesian Resort and Disney's Contemporary Resort were designed by Wed Enterprises, which is now Walt Disney Imagineering, the California architectural firm of Welton, Beckett, and Associates, and United States Steel Corp. Each was built with a unique and unusual process called unitized modular construction. That is basically a fancy way of saying that once the central elevator shaft went up for the Disney's Contemporary Resort, the crews created a 150-foot-high skeleton around it using steel A-frames. Remember how I said U.S. Steel Corp. was involved? That's where they came in. A few miles away, workers built rooms for both resorts on an assembly line, averaging about 40 rooms per week or 15 rooms per day. Each room was a freestanding unit, complete with air conditioning, bathroom fixtures, sliding glass doors, and groovy mid-century decor. After being trucked to a nearby construction site, the nearly nine-ton rooms were slid into the building frames by cranes, like dresser drawers. And no, despite a widely believed legend, they were never meant to be removable for future refurbishments. To help learn this new-fangled hotel business, the Walt Disney Company leased the Hilton Inn South in Orlando, Florida, which opened in May of 1970, and used the 140-room hotel as a kind of living laboratory, developing everything from training manuals to restaurant menus that they later used in those resorts around the Seven Seas Lagoon. Although I don't think Trader Sam made an appearance just yet. The remaining Phase 1 resorts, inspired by Asian, Venetian, and Parisian motifs, never made it off the Imagineers' drawing boards. Four decades later, these lost resorts remain tantalizing examples of what might have been, and I cannot wait to share a little bit of the magic with you in this episode. Imagine this. After a long day at a theme park, you could take a relaxing boat ride back to your colorful hotel inspired by the canals and culture of Italy. Luckily, now you can at Lowe's Portofino Bay Hotel at Universal Orlando, which opened as part of a major resort expansion that included Islands of Adventure and City Walk in 1999. However, as is often the case, the Venetian concept was originally intended to reside a few miles down the street as the third hotel among the Seven Seas Lagoon to open in Phase 1 of Walt Disney World back in 1971. The towering centerpiece of Disney's Venetian Resort would have been a 120-foot tall replica of the original tower in St. Mark's Square in Venice. Conveniently, that same tower now resides as the showpiece in the Italian Pavilion. (laughs) But this hotel would have also included multiple buildings connected by bridges and canals, which guests could ride on in traditional gondolas. If it would have been erected in Walt Disney World, the toperaries along World Drive would have had to find a new home, 
The land earmarked for the hotel was located on the stretch between the Contemporary Resort Hotel and the Ticket and Transportation Center. Had the hotel been completed, it would have had a dedicated stop along the resort monorail track. Additionally, there were no doubt plans for a Venetian-inspired boat ride connecting the hotel to Magic Kingdom and the Ticket and Transportation Center. Very on theme for Disney. (laughs) Years after the Venetian resort was shelved, plans came up in the 1990s to build a hotel on that very same spot. The Disney Venetian resort concept drawings were revisited to create the plans for Disney's Mediterranean resort. The idea being that since the Grand Floridian Resort and Spa was only a four-star hotel, it was important to create a true luxury hotel with luxury prices on the lagoon. Venice was out in favor of Greece in these plans for a five-star resort to complete the Monroe Circle in the late 1990s. Unfortunately, the swampy side of the Seven Seas Lagoon proved to require more work to build upon than the company was willing to invest. As is, the land was just too boggy and swampy and would not be able to support the building without an extremely deep and expensive foundation. Originally planned on the mineral track between the Ticket and Transportation Center and the Contemporary Resort, you can still see an empty plot of cleared land where the majestic Mediterranean Resort was planned to prevail. Although it would have been impossible to determine where the shelved plans for many of the original Venetian-inspired hotel and the Mediterranean Resort ended up. Many theme park enthusiasts cite the similarities between the Hotel Miracosta at Tokyo Disney Sea and the original concept art of Walt Disney World's Venetian Resort as proof that the Imagineers' plans were eventually realized in 2001. Hotel Miracosta gives the distinction of being the only hotel in the world which is placed entirely within a Disney theme park and it's officially themed after the ports of Portofino in Venice. Just like the original concept art for the Walt Disney World Hotel, guests can ride gondola rides through Venice just outside of the hotel's entrance at the Mediterranean Harborland in Tokyo Disney Sea. I've been there, and I have to say that the concept art is very similar. fourth planned Phase 1 resort, another country across the sea provided the much-needed inspiration for a grand hotel with the name Disney's Asian Resort. Inspired by the architecture and beauty of Thailand, this fourth hotel was also to be built on the shores of the Seven Seas Lagoon. In fact, prior to Walt Disney World's opening in 1971, the plans for this paradise even appeared in promotional material for the new Florida project. According to concept art, the hotel would have featured Thai furnishings and cuisine. Similar to the Polynesian Village Resort, there would be a main center building with the guest rooms arranged in a square around it. The large center building would have been more than 160 feet tall, with a restaurant on the top, similar in design to the Disney's Contemporary Resort. The 600-room resort would have included a convention center and a station connecting it to the monorail. Now for something really exciting, 50 suites would be deluxe rooms themed after Thai royalty. Construction of Disney's Asian Resort was scheduled to start in 1974 with rooms opening by the end of the year. Disney's 1972 annual report stated that the architectural designs were soon starting. Several models were built and land surveys were conducted. 
The construction was planned to take place three years after the Walt Disney World Resort opened in 1974, with rooms opening by the end of the year. However, despite Disney's optimistic 1972 annual report stating that architectural designs were soon starting, the construction never began. The site, which was cleared and visible among the monorail track for some 17 years, eventually was utilized for the larger Grand Floridian Beach Resort, now Disney's Grand Floridian Resort and Spa, on June 28, 1988. Inspired by the Victorian-era beach resorts built along Florida's east coast during the late 19th century, and bearing a striking resemblance to the Hotel Del Coronado in California, the Grand Floridian is a far cry from the Asian resort meant to occupy the space. Although there is no official reason for these resorts resting place in the Lost Resorts archives, it is believed that the hotel's cancellation were a result of the dual oil embargoes in the 1970s. The 1973 oil crisis began in October 1973, when members of the Organization of Arab Petroleum Exporting Countries proclaimed an oil embargo that was targeted at nations perceived as supporting Israel during the Yom Kippur War. In addition to the United States, Canada, Japan, the Netherlands, and the United Kingdom were also targeted. Suddenly and without warning, the price of oil shot up to over $12 a bale in the United States. As automobile arrival was the main method of transportation at the time, Walt Disney World suffered a huge decline in visitors in 1973. And once they got over that, after a very brief respite in the mid-1970s, the 1979, or second, oil shock came along in the wake of the Iranian Revolution. There was widespread panic, and the price of oil flew higher than ever. So not only was there no longer a need for all four planned resorts in the 1970s, profits were also scarce. Hence, these ambitious hotel projects were shelved permanently. A decline in tourism dollars likely led to the shelving of Venice and Thailand-inspired resorts, the third resort brought about their consolation as a result of the significant political upheaval. Named Disney's Persian Resort, this hotel would have actually been located on Bay Lake, just north of Disney's Contemporary Resort. Like Disney's Asian Resort, despite its name, it would have been themed around one country, Iran. Earlier drawings and descriptions show that the building would have been made to look like the ancient mosques, with tall white columns and a large 24-foot blue dome centerpiece, a little bit similar to the Hotel Del Coronado-style dome that is currently at the Floridian. What's interesting about this resort is that it would have its own little monorail loop system that would have connected it to Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom Tomorrowland similar to how the monorail in California connects to Tomorrowland and Disneyland. This resort would have also had a marina, which would be pretty cool. And like the Asian resort, it would have had a four-story main building that included restaurants and shops, while the guest rooms would be in separate buildings circling the main building. The rumor is that the Shah of Iran would have offered to fund some of the project construction and operation, similar to how countries funded their pavilions as Epcot was being built. In 1978, he made this promise, but 
1979, the Iranian Revolution caused the project to be shelved. This is understandable due to the association with Iran during this tumultuous time, the loss of the additional funding, and also the 1979 oil crisis. Today, the land earmarked for construction is still covered by natural Floridian flora as it was never cleared for construction. In addition to the Mediterranean Resort, Disney's Fort Wilderness Junction Resort, also sometimes called Buffalo Junction, was conceived during the Disney decade of the 1990s. This idea was actually really similar to Disney's Boardwalk Resort, which opened in 1996, but it was themed like the Old West. The hotel would have included a shopping and entertainment district, including an arena that would have shown Buffalo Bill's Wild West show, which was already popular in Disneyland Paris. The entire area would look like an old-fashioned western town, with dusty roads and horses. And just what was the interior of Fort Wilderness Junction supposed to look like? Well, to know that, we'd have to take a look at Wilderness Lodge, a high-end resort that caters almost exclusively to Walt Disney World visitors with fairly deep pockets. Now let's take a look at Fort Wilderness Resort and Campground, a nice little spot that appeals to those Walt Disney World visitors who are working with a somewhat smaller budget. Between the two resorts is a stretch of Cypress Forest, as well as a large group of potential customers. People who don't necessarily have a whole lot of money to spend, but that don't really want to stay in a rented RV and want a nicely themed hotel during their Disney World vacation. Well, it was just this group of potential visitors that Imagineers wanted to reach in the 1990s, which is why the Walt Disney Imagineering spent the January of 1990 creating plans for a piece of property that lies between the Fort Wilderness Resort and Disney's Wilderness Lodge. These two resorts were supposed to be the bookends for a story that the Imagineers wanted to tell next. The Fort Wilderness Resort and Campground, with its rough-hewn Pioneer Hall and Crockett's Tavern, was supposed to be where this tall tale started out, the United States during its frontier period, those rough and tumble times. Whereas the Wilderness Lodge would have represented the end of the story, when the U.S. had finally gotten smart about conserving its natural resources and developed a network of national parks. Now, for the stretch of cypress forest between those two resorts, that was where Fort Wilderness Junction, also called Buffalo Junction on some versions of the hotel plan, was going to be built. It would be a highly themed, moderate-priced 600-room resort similar to Disneyland Paris' western town-inspired Chinese hotel complex. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. Ignore me. This was not the only idea that Imagineers stole from Euro Disneyland. There would also be a large frontier rodeo-style structure built to house the Disney World version of the Euro Disney import Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. This is likely where the secondary name of the Western Walt Disney Resort came from. Walt Disney Imagineering also hoped to use the construction of the Fort Wilderness Junction Resort as a reason to revive Fort Wilderness's late lamented scenic steam train, the undersized railway operated on Disney World's campground area from 1973 to 1977 and had been dormant ever since. The idea was that this steam train would make three stops. One was at the campground area, another at the Wilderness Lodge, and the other located right in the center of Fort Wilderness Junction Resort. 
Although it may seem silly, Fort Wilderness Junction Resort came pretty close to really happening, with the land along the Vista Boulevard cleared back in the mid-1990s. However, as it was intended to be a second phase project, construction had to wait until the opening of the actual Wilderness Lodge, which opened late in May of 1994. However, by then, management had shifted their priorities again towards the popular timeshare market. The money that had been originally earmarked for construction of Fort Wilderness Junction quietly got shifted over to the villas at the Wilderness Lodge project, which opened to Disney Vacation Club members in November of 2000. I know, I know, I wish these amazing resorts would have been built, although I likely couldn't afford them. However, if you're longing for some of those forgotten resort concepts, don't despair, as not all hope is lost. Unlike theme park attractions and lands we've covered during our Lost Land series, sometimes enduring hotel concepts do make it off the infamous Imagineering drawing board. In the early 1980s, with the opening of Epcot and the end of the oil crisis, the vision for Walt Disney World shifted again to a destination resort. More guests were expected to be staying in or near Orlando, Florida now once the new park was open. Roy Miller, having taken over the Walt Disney Company, set about announcing yet another three new resorts for the Walt Disney World property. The Grand Floridian Resort, the aforementioned Mediterranean Resort, and Cypress Point Lodge. Cypress Point Lodge was originally intended to be a medium-sized value resort, located near the Fort Wilderness Campground, which would be inspired by national parks and the great outdoors. The hotel rooms were desperately needed with the Epcot expansion and the proposed easy access via boats to the Magic Kingdom, both of which made this resort an attractive proposition to current management. It looked as if the Cypress Point Lodge would certainly greet guests, and the proposed construction site had even been cleared and surveyed way back in 1970. However, that all changed in 1984, when Michael Eisner and Frank Wells took over the Walt Disney Company. Even though the announcement of the three new resorts was made just a few years earlier, Eisner and company had different plans which would lead into Disney's decade of the 1990s and the plot of land that was meant for Cypress Point Lodge. Lo and behold, in 1992, the Wilderness Lodge opened on the same spot with a deluxe take on the original National Park theming of Cypress Point Lodge, just with a different name. I hope you enjoyed this look into some of Walt Disney World's Lost Resorts. It really breathes new life into the Seven Seas Lagoon Resort area we all know and love today. Looking back at what could have been along that famed monorail track is like stepping into a time machine. I'll close this chapter of the podcast with one small, fun fact I uncovered during my research. Believe it or not, the Seven Seas Lagoon was originally configured for artificial waves, tall enough to allow surfing. The machine began operation with the opening of the Polynesian Village Resort in 1971. However, it was soon disabled after causing severe beach erosion to the Polynesian Village Resort. Isn't that cool? You could actually surf for a second on the Seven Seas Lagoon. Thank you so much for listening and for your continued support of Fast Pass to the Past. Make sure you check out our brand new store on TeePublic for all of your theme park history expert merch. You can find the link at themeparkhistorypodcast.com. Also, I invite you to email me at fastpasstothepast at gmail.com. If you have show ideas, disagree with anything I said, or just want to say hi, I love that. 
You can also message me on Facebook if that's easier. You can find the show notes at www.beanparkhistorypodcast.com. And if you have time, please leave an iTunes review. I know it seems silly, but it really helps our show. Have a magical day, and we'll see you again in two weeks with a brand new episode of Fast Past the Past, the Theme Park History Podcast. (laughs) 